And we're back with another edition of the Cosmic Crossfire. It's Gerald coming right back at you here. Well, it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without my good friend. It's the man himself at Rob McCallum Films. You gotta check out all the great stuff that's going on with Rob McCallum Films today at robmccallumfilms.com, Rob McCallum Films on Facebook, and at Rob McZob on Twitter. It's my good friend. It is Rob McCallum. So pray tell, Rob, what's on your mind when it comes to pop culture? Well, this is another big question where you've got to decide which film you think is going to be a bigger hit with audiences as both have switched their dates one more drastically than another. Top Gun 2, the topper Gunner starring Tom Cruise has been delayed a year with some inside sources saying they don't want to rush things because of other commitments. So it's being delayed a year now and Terminator six move has been moved up a week. And this is the film that ignores everything after Terminator two judgment day. So Gerald, the question to you, not so much about the dates being moved. Although I know there's a lot of fan circles out there that are going to be talking about this and really worried about top gun two getting delayed an entire year and getting excited that Terminator six, which is kind of like Terminator three, even though it's still being referred to as Terminator 6, because there is a Terminator 3, is moving up a week. So which film do you think will be a bigger hit with audiences? You're talking about Maverick. I was surprised you didn't actually say the title of it, because uh, I thought it was just so funny to say Maverick. And it's going to be so fun to say Maverick each and every time when it Not comes out. Not to be confused with the Mel Gibson film of the same name, Maverick. That's right. That's right. It's coming out in 2020, although they have time to change the name. So what film am I more excited about? Well, no, which, which film is going to be a bigger hit with audiences? Okay. Well, I think Maverick will probably be a bigger hit with audiences because I think people have tired of the Terminator genre, but I understand that it, it's getting James Cameron's blessing, his involvement in it this time. It's a reboot kind of sort of speak. It does have Linda Hamilton involved in the project. She's going to be part of it. She's coming back as a super duper warrior that she is. And But still, how much more Terminator do we need in such a relatively short period of time? Because Terminator Genesis flopped big time. It did a big time belly flop into the pool. Obviously, there's been other Terminators after the great Terminator 2 that have come along that have not really resonated with audiences. I think Terminator Salvation was the only one really to have any kind of commercial success after that to any stretch. I don't even think Rise of the Machines did that well. I know it's obviously not thought of very well as far as from a critical standpoint. So I probably have to say at this point in time, since they're not taking maybe another 10 years off between Terminators, I'd probably say at this point in time, I would shoot for Maverick as far as my pick on that. I got to disagree. We got to start head to head this week, Gerald. Head to head, baby! I got to say that I don't think people are going to be clamoring for Top Gun 2 in the way that they like the visceral elements that have made the Terminator franchise, whether they're hits or misses, even with the last three or four being complete misses, they <laughs> still have... Those visceral elements of the unstoppable monster, they still have that sci-fi bend to them, and that's always going to appeal, whether it's part of the Terminator franchise or something else entirely. That monster that can't be stopped with that nice little sci-fi element and robots, 
in technology that you know you have to wrap your your head around because it's so new and fresh those are always great storytelling points and that's the kind of stuff that we're really betting on is that going to be cooler and better than airplanes flying around who wants to see a bunch of airplanes flying around in dogfights that would be like seeing iron man in his suit cam vision selfie mode for 60 percent of an iron man movie well, I'm good on either, but there is a nostalgia factor when it comes to Maverick that people might clamor yeah, to initially. Maybe. On the surface, Paramount is saying that the reason why for the delay in a year is supposedly due to the air sequences that's going to take and develop more time. I mean, we know in dealing with Hollywood, that may not always be the case. Yeah, but essentially, Tom Cruise wants to fly an airplane from the outside of it in a dogfight to fool his enemies or whatever, whatever's going on here. I think there's going to be political issues that you got to be really careful about with Top Gun 2. And I think this really falls into a category that we saw from another film from the 80s that was really big and had a sequel come around 2008 or 9, and that's Wall Street. We had Wall Street, which was a huge movie in the 80s for Oliver Stone, harken back to, and Money Never Sleeps came out. Yes. Again, Michael Douglas is in it. Shia LaBeouf was in it. There was a cameo by Charlie Sheen. And it just didn't rekindle the magic for people. It just wasn't enough. It was a great idea on paper. The script, you know, works for what it was because it worked in the 80s. So why not bring it back? It's just a different time, a different period. And I don't think audiences are going to be wooed. But then again, I am the guy that also says the Fast and the Furious movies shouldn't be as appealing as they are. Top Gun 2, Maverick, is probably going to be Fast and the Furious in disguise. And I don't think that's going to be quite enough. Amazon has decided to develop original movies alongside other studios. From an article on Deadline, talks are in early stages and no agreements have been reached, sources say. However, Amazon is looking for the opportunity to exploit existing studio IP. Sources say Amazon is looking to replicate Paramount's success with the Cloverfield Paradox, a film sequel that was released directly to rival streaming service Netflix. But Deadline notes that Amazon is rebuilding the studio under Jennifer Salk, who has stressed multiple times that the streaming company, quote, will not be in the volume business. According to Salk, Amazon views Prime Video as a customer retention tool, not as a standalone business. Thoughts on this approach, Gerald? Well, let's first delve into Cloverfield Paradox. And the movie itself stunk. It is one of the worst I, movies of the year. I haven't opinion. seen it. We talked about it before. It was dropped after Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, they had a big ad during Super Bowl last year, driving a lot of traffic there. And that's uh, and that's that's the reason why it it in part it became so successful is because of that. So let's look at that. Well, but, but let's let's talk about success too and what success actually is. Because Paramount offloaded it to Netflix for fifty million dollars instead of the cost of putting it through a theatrical run which with prints and advertising would at least been $20, $30 million, let alone whatever other costs that would have been associated with it. So they basically save face that, okay, we'll take 50, 50 million and call it a day. That was success for Paramount, not having to kind of run the gamut, not having to have another X against their track record on the year for them and try something new, which I think, you know, was at least buzzworthy and discussion and water cooler like, and to really take advantage of the Super Bowl ad. And this goes again with what you're saying, should Amazon Video be treated as far as a main entity or a side entity? And to me, if you're spending $500 million on the Lord of the Rings property to produce a series in that, 
to me, you should start treating it like it's its own main property and not just an additional side thing when it comes to Amazon and an additional reason why you should invest in Amazon Prime. So I don't know, man. To me, they have every opportunity to become its own entity that will stand out, uh, will drive actually audiences and people into the service in and of itself and then get Amazon Prime on the side and all the benefits of that. To me, it's something that they can compare to Netflix favorably and that if they really put a focus on Amazon Prime Video, it can be one of the leading, if not the leading service that's out there on streaming if they so choose to use that option because the funds are there, my friend. It's just a matter of the will and the drive and the projects that they get in. And what do you think about her comment saying that Amazon Prime Video is a customer retention tool, not a standalone business? And the way they're treating it is right now, obviously some of the series, the Jack Ryan series that's just debuted and other series that they have. And and for them, they treat it like a customer retention tool. But if it were me, I would try to take every step possible to not only make it a customer retention tool, but make it a property worth having. I get really scared as a subscriber to Amazon Prime Video, which I value more than the the actual shipping side of things. When I'm told that this isn't a priority, this is just a measure in order to keep me around because that doesn't feel like they're trying to invest or expand it. I feel like there's no loyalty there. I feel like it, it's the stepchild that's shoved in the closet that you don't want to talk about. It has its place, you know, during family events and stuff. But otherwise, you know, it's just not worth anybody else's time. And frankly, you know, I was a little disappointed because I had watched a lot of Prime probably from January till about May or so. And then we packed up and moved houses and stuff. And I hadn't been on Amazon Prime since. And then I, I flipped it on last night. And lo and behold, there was really nothing new added. I flipped through all the different new series and all the different movies that were out. And I think I saw like one new thing of remote interest and the rest was just recycled garbage that was still under the new category. So it definitely feels like it's getting stale and I don't feel like there's a lot going on there. A big loss of consumer confidence, if you ask me. And then to hear them say that they're not going to treat this, you know, with, with a with a big bright torch and keep moving forward in the direction that they have with their award-winning series and art house films that they might want to just get into studio fair. I think that's probably a mistake. Who's to say they can't do it all? But when they also say things like we're not going to be in the volume business, I feel like, again, as a customer, well, you better do something because you're not holding my attention. And if you're only going to put out one or two films a year that are studio fair based on existing IP, I better like them. And chances are I won't at the very least. So I ask you this then, you know, Amazon Prime, like I said, has the brand new Jack Ryan series. It does have in development the Lord of the Rings series. So it's doing things that are keeping it up and running, but it's not doing anything in your mind to extenuate itself, to to have it stand out and make it say that it is the leading streaming service on the internet. So it's not going that realm because you and I both think with the type of funding, the type of backing that it could have, and the type of access that it has to audiences, that it could be a Netflix killer in some form or fashion. Quite frankly, it needs to be in the volume business. Having your five or six original series a year isn't enough. As people know with binging, 
you can devour a series in a, in a weekend if it's good. And let's say every Amazon original series is great. The Jack Ryan one is getting a lot of mixed reviews. I haven't seen it myself. He's not a character that you know I love. I will probably check it out just for the sake of watching it. I want to check out The Last Tycoon as well. But there's not a lot on there for me. So even if you're going to stick to your six, let's call it 10 original series, that's not really enough because you can go through it so quickly. And what are you supposed to do the rest of the time? And maybe, hey, I've said it before with video games. I really only get to play five, six games a year because I don't have the time to invest in a 70-hour RPG or a sprawling series. TV is a little bit different. I've got kids. I've got a little bit of downtime here and there. I can't sleep at night sometimes or I get up early in the morning or sometimes I just want a little bit of R&R. And I want to make sure something's going to be there. If I'm paying the same price that I'm essentially paying for Netflix, I want to have something that's on par in terms of options and quality. When you get into the volume game, you're inevitably going to uh, raise the quality because by sheer numbers of increase. So if you have 10 quality titles and you only have 100 things in total, if you get 1,000, you'll have 100 quality things in total by the same factor. But it just seems kind of confusing to me that they go ahead and invest money in this Jack Ryan series, that they go ahead and invest so much money in the Lord of the Rings series. But like you said, they only treat it as a customer retention tool. It's like someone that has all this money but doesn't really know what to do with it. And it really just makes no sense at all. If it was you and I running Amazon Prime as far as the, from the video sense, I would make every effort to try and compete on a level that's at or near or even above what Netflix is doing right now. Yeah, and let's not forget that this is on top of making extra money because they're paying out less to people that are putting their own content on Amazon Prime now. They cut it down to a whopping 30% of what it had been before from 15 cents down to five and a half, six cents per minute stream. So they're, they're only giving people pennies now instead of nickels and dimes and that she put more money in their, in, their, in their coffers at the very least. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. Looking for an edge the next time you take on your favorite video game? Look no further than Vitabrace High Performance Gamer Wristbands. Packed with the power of fruit seed oil, Vitabrace is clinically proven to help improve performance, giving you a better gaming experience. Whether you're looking to beat the time on your latest speedrun, or are fighting your way to the top on your favorite multiplayer or battle royale game, Vitabrace can help you reach your gaming goals. Buy Vitabrace today at MiracleFruitOil.com. That's MiracleFruitOil.com. Vitabrace. Win with it. Recently, I had a chance to sit down and watch the Spielberg Biodoc on HBO. It's available on iTunes as well if you guys want to check it out for rental or purchase. And of course, it's everything that you'd hope to be candid interviews with the director and his family and a, a nice, carefully thought out trip through all the different films that he's made and the time that he spent crafting different stories and narratives and, and making films. And it got me really thinking about what could be the ultimate Spielberg showdown, almost like the great debate, Gerald. That lovely series from yesteryear where I pit impossible sides against one another and you have to figure out which is the best. So I've got a bunch of Spielberg films, okay? 
And the question is, which would you rather have in your collection? All right. Not what's better, not what's more important. Which would you rather have in your collection? Okay. Fair enough. Shoot it at me, man. Shoot it the at first me. pair is Jaws versus Jurassic Park. Both blockbusters, both revitalized the blockbuster. Jaws, obviously, maybe the first big blockbuster, but Jurassic Park, a real return to form and really put summer movies back on the map in 1993. Wowed audiences, ushered in the age of CG. Jaws versus Jurassic Park. What do you want in your collection? Well, I know you're going to not like me for this. I know you're a huge JP fan, but I'm going to have to go with the original Meg himself. And let's go for the shark. It's not surprising that you're picking something wrong. Um, <laughs> it's okay. I'm used to you being incorrect on this show. Well, I think the interaction between the main characters itself and the tension that builds to me is to me makes jaws a better movie than jurassic park it's not about it's not about a better movie which do you want in your collection which are you more likely to watch over and over again that's why i would watch it over and over again just because i don't think you would watch jaws more times in your life than you'd watch jurassic park ah yes i would i just think think, jurassic park to me is a slasher movie i've watched it a slasher movie here we go it is a glorified slasher movie man it's jaws is a drama on a boat well you need a bigger boat so yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next pair up. Close Encounters or War of the Worlds? For me, I'm gonna probably say War of the Worlds. Close Encounters wow. is I, I've seen Close Encounters once a long, long time ago. I enjoyed it for what it was, but it was moving at a snail's pace, I think, as far as the actual speed of it. I just that to me was probably the the lone setback that caused me to say, Hey, okay, I watched it, I'm done with it. I would probably say War of the Worlds. I think it's it's paced a little bit quicker. It's a little bit geared towards modern audiences. And maybe it's because my tastes have evolved over the years with movie making. And sometimes it's harder for me to get into older movies now because of the fact that so many movies these days are filmed at such a faster pace. So I'd probably say War of the Worlds at this point in time, although that has a lot of issues as well. Yeah, there's a lot of issues with War of the Worlds. There are moments and sequences that I really like in that film. But I got to go Close Encounters on this one for a lot of reasons. One, it's like the first big film Spielberg got to do without anybody on his butt about what he want to do. He played a, a pivotal role in, in writing that screenplay. He went over budget. He went over time. But that film is exactly what he wanted unequivocally without anybody interfering in any kind of way. And I think it is a real masterpiece for him. And I would, even though I've seen more of the worlds more than Close Encounters, going forward, I am more likely to watch Close Encounters more than War of the Worlds. The next pair. Here we go. Hook versus Catch Me If You Can. I would definitely say Catch Me If You Can. Hook to me is just something I saw it and I think I want my life back. Those two hours of my life back. I just think it just was... I feel sorry for Dustin Hoffman. I feel sorry for Robin Williams, the late Robin Williams. Rest in peace. It just, it was just not good. It's just, uh, and uh, to me, Catch Me If You Can is a nice story. One of the great things I like to see every now and then from Steven Spielberg films is just there's a simplistic story to it and a, a simplistic feel to some of his movies. And one of those is Catch Me If You Can. It, I really kind of like the charm that it has. It doesn't try to go out of its way to do too much, but just make for an entertaining time. I'm a huge fan of Catch Me If You Can. I really like the play between Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio. Christopher Walken is fantastic in it. 
again, Hook has some really awesome moments. It's that sequel to a classic tale that we've all wanted. And I don't think anybody but Spielberg could have really taken something like that on and had the success that he did have, regardless of what you think of the results. There are really nice sequences in there. I like Dustin Hoffman, especially when he goes full on like ham and cheese mode. Peter, Peter Pan, Peter Padding. Oh no, the bull box. I love all that stuff. I think it's all fun. It was also probably one of the first films that I saw with a ton of marketing behind it and a lot of uh, merchandising as well. They were really pushing it over the top. There was toys and action figures and Kenner, which had the license for it, as well as I think it was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, rebranded actual Star Wars toys to make it part of the, the actual series. Uh, they just used the molds and put it in a different box. So that, I think that was pretty interesting too. But Catch Me If You Can is, is a classic for me. I think I've probably watched it 50 or so times. I'm a really big fan of it. So I would say it's Catch Me If You Can. The next one, I kind of know where you're going already with it, but I think it's really interesting. And I don't think you, maybe maybe you have to come back to this one in a year or so to, to really let me know how you feel, okay? The pair is Minority Report versus Ready Player One. Oh, that's easy. Minority Report all the way. See, I, <laughs> you're saying that's easy, but I think you need to give Ready Player One a little bit more time. I've, I've you, watched it. I've reviewed it. You can actually catch my review on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. It, it's a good movie. It's okay. But there are parts of it that are just the wrong choice to make. I think that the... And I would say the same thing about Minority Report, which is why um, I paired them. Minority Report is so good all the way out for me. Uh, I just think there is just so many good points. I think it's one of his best movies ever. If I, I know ever... it's your favorite Spielberg film, and I know that you can be wrong about these things, and no, that's okay. No, no, no. no. Um, it, it's I... the most underappreciated, undervalued movie from him, I think, that people forget about. But I think it is truly one of his best. But when it comes to Ready Player One, Ready Player One has some really – you've seen the movie, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen the behind the scenes and the making of and in the stuff that he had to learn and the, that he was willing to throw himself into out of his comfort zone and and what the conditions were to make that film is just it, it blows my mind. And there are like, two spectacular CG scenes in there that are just two. Are, cannot, two. There's only two. The, two in my opinion, There's that two. cannot be missed. There, that cannot two. be missed. But the scene where they're actually going into, I guess, uh, recreating um, The Shining from Stephen King, that was just, that was truly not a very good scene. What? Uh, are you kidding me? It's amazing. Was, First no, of all, he had... Stephen King had, himself doesn't even like it. Yeah, but he had Kubrick's like whole production crew with him on set to see him rebuild all that and to go through that whole shtick. And uh, uh, you've read the book, right? That's the problem. I've read the okay, book. Okay, so no, they no, they didn't use any of the puzzles from the book in translating into the film, and I completely understand why, because there's a lot of time dedicated to it in the book, and you can't do that within the scope of a 90-minute, two-hour film. And the, the Shining one is the best Shining example of something that you can plug and play and put in there and have it work to the same essence that the book gets at. I think uh, that w that's a highlight for me. And anybody that's a, a fan of The Shining needs to see that because it'll blow your mind to see that world come to life once more. And then I think it also really serves the narrative well. I disagree. I think it actually... I, again, it's okay that you're wrong. It's <laughs> see, that's not fair to well, me. You asked my opinion. I did. And I, it's, I'm okay asking and getting a wrong opinion over and over again. Oh, my gosh. Well, I... 
like I said, both I would mind having on Blu-ray, especially the fact that Ready Player One is so visually illuminating for the opening and the ending sequences of the movie, which are so brilliantly done, which are looks just a pop culture explosion on a massive screen that I just truly enjoyed watching on the big screen. But it's just the the middle parts a little lag a little bit, and the fact that that the sequence with the you know Shining is just it's not good, man. It's amazing. It's, not good. it's good. It's, it's, it's not so good. good. No, it's no, so good. Minority so Report good. for me is just a, a great movie. A waste, of, a great waste of time is what that is. No, no, couldn't. Yeah. An embarrassment to the original Philip K. Dick book. No, no, uh, no just no. Tom Cruise jumping around on flying cars. Couldn't disagree with you more. Yeah, <laughs> just, just awful. Carry around people that have visions. It's well, okay. I've got you, one. You, you. You've got visions. You've got visions. I got a couple more pairings here. Okay, but then I've got one for you as well. Okay, so the next one is tough. Okay, the last two are tough. And again, which would you rather have in your collection? Raiders of the Lost Ark or E.T.? Easy on this one. Raiders of the Lost Ark by leaps and bounds. Even with kids? Even with kids. Uh, well, I wouldn't show it to the kids. But e- <laughs> I'd have to tell them that uh, I'd have to show them that behind the scenes footage of how they made that scene with the, you know, the eyes melting and the and when they open up the sarcophagus, you know, when they open up the ark and there you go, and it's like all that, you know, I'd have to show them that scene behind the scenes first before you actually show them the movie. But I would say definitely for me, Rare's Lost Ark. It's just such a, a fun movie to watch. And you get appreciation for Steven Spielberg's childlike enthusiasm for projects when you see that one and you see the third one, Last Crusade, yes, with Sean Connery. I, those two movies are really fun to watch and i would definitely like to have those as part of the collection et i was never a fan of at the time but you're talking childlike but i understand nothing more childlike excitement i understand the charm but i think it was the fact that just it was just out there and it was pushed out onto the public at that point in time when it came out that it was just so it was almost like was force fed onto the public as far as how cute how adorable how mass merchandise this was. And I think I probably just revolted on it. It's a very nice storytelling medium. It's a very nice and charming movie when they all get said and done. But for me, it's just sometimes goes over on the cuteness. And I just think it, I, at that t- point in time in my life, I just was like this, I want nothing to do with this movie. I just think it for me, it would be Screw rare. Screw you, Lost Spielberg. Art. You sold out, man. You so you had me at Jaws, then you lost me at E.T. No, no, I, you know, Rare's Lost Ark. That was like right around the time when Harrison Ford really was getting into a groove as far as some really great roles, and definitely, I, I think he embodies the spirit of what a lot of people would like to go through as far as being an adventurer and going through that realm where everything is is exciting around every turn and. I can't say enough good things about Raiders of the Lost Ark as a whole movie in it. Obviously, a lot of Spielberg's imprint on on his life and, and his culture and his background in regards to what the movie is portrayed as well. All right, the last one I got for you is Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan. Now, that one is a close one. That one I would like to have both because both are really excellent movies. And I've told you this before. I think the opening sequence, well, actually, not, it's not the actual opening opening of it, but the, after the first... The storming uh, of the beach. Yeah, the storming of the beach itself, the actual D-Day and whatnot, that sequence is probably one of the two or three most brilliant sequences I've ever seen on a big screen in my life. The movie itself after that is 
pretty good, but it has a couple of points where it's, it kind of gets a little, a little too mushy. Schindler's List is an excellent movie throughout with some just outstanding performances by Liam Neeson and Ben Kingsley, which is part of the reason why it's kind of hard to get into Ben Kingsley's latest role, where he is the exact opposite of what he did in Schindler's List. So it's kind of hard to believe him in the role that he's currently in. And Well, one of the interesting facts while you're checking that out, Gerald, that I learned from the Spielberg documentary on Operation Finale. Operation Finale, yeah, where he plays a former Nazi commander and whatnot that that they're trying to go after. So, one of the interesting facts that I learned about Saving Private Ryan while watching the Spielberg documentary is that they shot it chronologically. I didn't know that they had done that chronologically because he really wanted to put all the actors in the mindset, and he also made all the actors, aside from Matt Damon and Tom Hanks go through boot camp and he left those two guys out because they already had some military experience from what I understand. So they were pardoned from everybody else had to go through an actual regimented boot camp. So they know what it would be like to train under those conditions and then to shoot the whole film chronologically to preserve that emotional kind of through line. For me, that one would be an extremely close race. I would actually like both of them. Well, you got to pick one to go in your collection, which is it going to be? I'd probably have to say, uh, let's go with Schindler's List. You're wrong it, again. It's it's such a it's such a great movie throughout. Uh, it's but, a great movie, but which are you going to really watch more often? But I'm going to probably shut it off after the first 20 minutes because. But it, you're going to watch it more than you're going to watch all the Schindler's List. Well, yeah, I catch myself five will, hours long. I will say I catch myself watching that opening sequence a lot on television, even to this day. So maybe you're right on that one. Yeah, I got to go Saving Private Ryan. I think there's, if you can say a film is more fun or a little bit more engaging, Saving Private Ryan is definitely a little bit more engaging on on my side. Which did you want to throw at me? Which pair? Okay, so I got a pair for you here. Ready? This goes a little bit in the Wayback Machine, some of his first offerings. Oh, what are we going to do? Like Amblin and Duel? Well, hold on. 1942, what are we doing? No, not 1942. I think he tries to forget that one. Duel versus Sugarland Express. Uh, I'd have to go with Duel. Uh, even though it was a made-for-TV movie, I and a lot of that's probably because I've watched this documentary and hear him really talk about it and dissect it compared to Sugarland Express. Again, it's just like that, you know, faceless monster constantly chasing you down. And having been on a number of road trips and having driven across North America to the extent that I have, it's just something that I can relate to a little bit more. I agree with you on that. I think it's a very underappreciated movie. One of his best early movies and something that actually could translate well into a rebooted type thing. If he ever wanted to get back and into, or somebody else wanted to pick up the property and whatnot, because I think, like you said, from a storytelling medium, from a tense, from a suspense aspect, I think it tells a great story, great narrative, even today. And I think, Dennis Weaver's performance in the movie just really sells it for me. I think that's what really what, what really just put it over the top as a, one of his best early movies going on. All right, bonus points for you. Spielberg as a producer, which would you rather have in your collection, Gremlins or Poltergeist? I would probably say Poltergeist. I'm Wrong sorry. again. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> They're here. Sorry. I'm just well, I will say that he was much more involved in Poltergeist. He, he ended up jumping on set and, and directing a bunch and like writing the script because for whatever reason, uh, 
Mr. Uh, Toby Hooper there, who's responsible for Texas Chainsaw, was just having a hard time with it, I guess. So he came in to really shepherd that. Of course, the impossible question, Gerald. Poltergeist or Back to the Future? I'd probably say Back to the Future. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, that was a shot at redemption. You you get a pass. You get you get to exist yet another morning. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. yeah there Back to the Future for me on that one. I, that one is going to be thought of fondly for many years to come poltergeist for all of its greatness at the time and for all that it, it went into really pop culture lore and, and our society with the, they're here and people were freaked out by it i think it's kind of been forgotten about over the years whereas back to the future still remains a charm even after all these years all right here's another tough one this isn't even really fair this is sequels temple of doom or the lost world well, I'd have to go with The Lost World because Temple of Doom is one of the worst, worst films of all time. See, worst I'm, I'm, I'm teeing Spielberg. it up for you just so that we can be friends a little bit longer and continue to do the yeah, Well, Crossfire. your your opinion, your opinion on Temple of Doom, how bad is that movie? Because It's me, really it's, bad. It's, it's, it's That campfire scene is just atrocious. It wasn't going to be a big budget thing, that it was going to be really self-contained but have a really great story. And then Temple of Doom opens up like a James Bond film. There's the coming out of the airplane in a raft. There's all the weird creature things on the campfire. You know, I really love the minecart race scene. I think that's really fun. But it's been done a million times since. It doesn't have the magic. And I don't think that the mythology of Temple is as strong as the Christian mythology that they use in Raiders and Last Crusade to go with in Hindu culture just isn't universal enough to have the same kind of awe-inspiring power. It doesn't have the same mythos that's tied to other things, like the Holy Grail has been written about a billion times. The Ark of the Covenant has been written about a billion times. And I think also Harrison Ford's performance was actually very underserved. Uh, he almost walked through the picture himself. It just he wasn't very he wasn't utilized in the picture very well in my opinion. Plus the fact that Unfortunately, sorry to Steven Spielberg out there, but his future wife at that point in time and the kid in there were just absolutely nauseating and annoying to just no extent the way they were screaming. They were, they were overacting, both just I could have done without. And and the fact that they overtook the picture and they took a lot of it away from Harrison Ford, which I think a lot of people at that time were wanting to go and see leads into the fact that it's just such a bemoaned picture and uh, i don't know anybody who tells me that they like it i just leave these me scratch you instantly put them in another category and that's fine they can sit there and they can have their thoughts and opinions but they're always going to be in that category it's just uh, it's a nauseating movie they're putting a similar plastic box in which that i have put you in for some of your opinions it's fine that you can have whatever you want you'll always just be in this plastic box sometimes you dip your toe or your arm outside of it to the to the realm of sanity and rational thinking and you join me in such a, a blessed plane of existence but for the most part you're concealed to this plastic dungeon of despair i'm just reaching out right now and trying to grab your heart I see that. And you know, it's funny because most people of my generation and, and age, Temple is their favorite because they grew up and as kids and they saw it when it came to VHS, that was one of the first films that they really connected to. It is definitely more family friendly than say a Raiders or even Last Crusade is. Like you said, with the eyeball melting scene, I'm sure if you put it on for your daughters, they would probably respond more to Temple than they would to Raiders. So it's definitely kid friendly. That doesn't make it better, but that that's that's that thing. Well, I mean, it's about all about telling a narrative. And unfortunately, the narrative that's told in a Temple of Doom is just 
it's not a very good one. And it, with all the other extenuating factors that we've talked about, it is probably one of the worst movies that he's ever been a part of. So check out the Spielberg documentary. Again, it's available on iTunes, or if you have access to HBO, check it out. I believe it's up for Emmy consideration uh, as well for a standalone uh, nonfiction piece. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. That is by far my favorite because it's also character driven and the stakes are high and there's much more of a mystery and intrigue to it. A game like Wolfenstein, which people are saying are one of the most socially important video games of the past 10 years. Catch our shows on radio worldwide seven days a week or at any time on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts or on over 30 more podcast outlets. Last thing I want to talk about today is a Wild E. Coyote movie that's in the works called Coyote vs. Acme. This story appeared on Slash Film and Deadline, and they don't have any plot details, but some intensive research, which in this case means Google, reveals that a writer, Ian Fraser, has a collection of humorous essays titled Coyote vs. Acme. Within the book is the title story, which is comprised of the opening statement of an attorney representing Wiley Coyote in a product liability suit against the Acme Company, supplier of unpredictable rocket sleds and faulty spring-powered shoes. I think it's a funny way. It's a nice entrance point to maybe put a whole bunch of shorts together. The Roadrunner Coyote stuff, you know, Chuck Jones created it. Some of the best storytelling, simple, universal, no dialogue. It's great. But this is an ongoing trend. We're seeing a lot of articles getting made into films. You know, The Bling Ring was a Sofia Coppola film that was based on an article. Recently, there was news that that McDonald's Monopoly scam. Now a movie's going to happen based on that. And now this. So is it easier to write an article and seed it in a publication these days instead of writing and pitching a screenplay? Seems like it. Or if you've got a podcast that a lot of people would be interested in picking up, like my dad wrote a porno. That one actually just got picked up. Well, we talked about Hollywood rehashing all these old ideas and nostalgia and all that. But sometimes they're on a very, uh, sometimes on occasion that they're going outside the box. And I guess obviously one of the ways that they're doing is looking at these articles and saying, hey, this is something that we're going to go try to see if we can market it and produce as a film. And I think it's a good idea that they're going outside the box because we just talked about it as nauseam as far as them rehashing and recycling the same old ideas. So it's nice when they actually go ahead and look for inspiration somewhere else. Well, I know a lot of screenplay writers are actually seeding these articles in order to sell the rights to the articles instead of having to take the time to write the screenplay and have to go through the whole rigmarole of development hell. Because if they can cash a check earlier on based on the rights to an article, not only do they get paid and retain kind of story and creative control, but they don't have to be part of that trap that Hollywood has created for screenplay writers. Exactly. So it, it, like I said, it's just, it's nice to see them going outside the box. I just wish they would do it more often. Well, that'll do it for another episode of the Cosmic Crossfire. Let Crossfire. us know what you think. Crossfire. Crossfire. Let us know what you think. Of course, Gerald, where can they get a hold of us? 
Hey, well, you can get a hold of us at popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also, as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, Game Source, and Rob McCallum Films on Facebook and at Rob McZob on Twitter as well. Rob, before we head on out, I got to hear more about all the stuff that you're doing, including the power of Grayskull, my friend, hitting Netflix and how big that's getting over right now. Well, a lot of people really like Power of Grayskull. Of course, as you mentioned, it is streaming exclusively right now on Netflix. They're saying it is more than just a nice companion piece to the toys that made us, which did the He-Man story in 20 to 30 minutes. People really like the depth that we're going in, you know, especially on the 1987 movie, because we were able to secure interviews with Dolph Lundgren and Frank Langella. People are really responding to it. And there's a few reviews out there, so check it out and uh, be sure to stream it. Give it the big thumbs up. And in other news, we could finally we finally released the trailers that we crafted for 2K Games and HB Studios for their recent release of the Golf Club 2019 with the PGA Tour. So there's an officially licensed course and PGA apparel for this indie game, which has now been picked up by 2K as a publisher. So it was really awesome to be part of that process when 2K came in and we started working with them to craft both a 30-second and a minute-and-a-half-long trailer for for their title, which will also be getting a physical release sometime this fall. That's awesome to hear everything that's going on in your world. If they want to hear my thoughts on the power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, it's actually on one of our most recent episodes of the Pop Culture Cosmos show. You just got to check it out today on Pop Culture Cosmos on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your other podcast outlets. And also the like you said, the brand new game from HP Studios and now 2K, giving them a hand as well with the golf club, with their added PGA Tour. You can see those videos we've posted not only on Rob McCallum Films' Facebook page, but we put it on the Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page, also on YouTube, and also Retro City Games on their Facebook page as well. So it's getting a lot of hits. It's getting a lot of interest. So I wish you the best with that. And I wish the team at HB Studios, I got a chance to take a uh, test drive with the first golf club, and I'm hoping for bigger things as well on this version. There's so. a lot of improvements on the on the Golf Club 2019, which is the third installment. And one of the things that really sets this apart is a user course creator. I know for Golf Club 2, they had 150,000 courses that users created that they were able to, of course, import from the first game. And I'm sure there's going to be an import feature as well for, for the new edition to bring stuff from the previous game in. Kind of backwards compatibility is always nice. But you can get really in-depth in it with you know adjusting the size of terrain and placing different objects and props. The team over there has done just an excellent job, and, and the game looks absolutely breathtaking and beautiful. And when you check out the trailer, it, it should get you pretty pumped to tee off and compete across 32 different tournaments, I believe. Exactly. looks great, and uh, credit to you and the staff at Rob McCallum Films for uh, helping define what is a very widely received, that's very well thought of as far as a video that's come out initial gameplay showing it and i think that's a great reason why 2k picked up the license as well so great job by you my friend thank you sir until next time then i guess until next time it's always great to have you a part of the show my friend part of the pop culture cosmos and of course right here in the middle of the cosmic crossover